you'll want to follow along in the Word of God. Um, so if you'll grab your copy of the Scriptures and look in Philippians chapter 3. Let me just say, praise God, it was awesome to have the band back together. <laughs> it was good. Amen. Yeah. Good having the praise team back uh, this morning. And uh, very thankful for that. That was good. Uh, very good. And so did did my soul well. It is well with my soul. Um, where did Randall go? He's still in here. He slipped out. That's fine. Uh, you, you guys remember, um, what was my man who did uh, Harvey? Uh, uh, and now the rest of the story. Paul Harvey, thank you. Yeah, see, you just all showed your age. Um, <laughs> Paul Harvey. Y'all, some of y'all remember Paul Harvey. Some of you kids are like, who's Paul Harvey? Um, is that that comedian that didn't announce the winner of the pageant correctly? No, that's Steve. Uh, no relation. As Paul Harvey used to say, and now the rest of the story. There is a rest of the story to it as well with my soul. I am not going to tell you this morning, <laughs> but I, I hope to tell you the rest of the story, and I'll try and, and, and weave that into a sermon soon, because you need to hear the rest of the story. It actually serves as a, if I could say it this way, um, a, a different type of inspiration. Okay? So uh, any, anyway, some of you maybe don't be Googling right now, okay? Wait till later. But I, I hope to share the rest of the story uh, on, that, on that song and the life of um, uh, the, the author of that and his family. But anyway, with that said, guys, uh, we've got some things to do this morning. We are looking at the conclusion of Philippians 3. Now, some of you may, if you've been taking good notes, you're like, well, wait a minute, I thought point... Point three, which we're on point three today, was the conclusion. Well, hopefully it is the conclusion. Uh, but this past week, I had the privilege of speaking twice out at Wayne Christian School. And uh, they wanted me to speak on the power of the resurrection. Pastor Mark was out there last week speaking on the resurrection. And wouldn't you know it, God has us perfectly in a passage that references the power of the resurrection. Now, guys, I am not near smart enough to try and arrange my preaching schedule to fall like that. But God is. And so praise God for that. So I thought, hey, I, there's no need to reinvent the wheel, right? There's nothing new under the sun. And if we go with anything other than God's word, we're in trouble anyway. And so uh, I, I taught this message that you're going to receive today, hopefully receive, uh, out at Wayne Christian School this week. And as I got to kind of chewing back over it, meditating on it. I said, you know what? Uh, this, this point needs to be changed. Instead of the conclusion, it's the cost. And, and again, what a, a fitting title as we, today, Palm Sunday, this week, uh, we look ahead to Good Friday, and next Sunday, the resurrection morning. And when it comes to the death the burial and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Guys, it came at a great cost. Now to you and I, it's a free gift. In that, whosoever will, let them come. As the Father draws, as the Spirit draws, if you will hear and heed the voice of God and come to Him, He will not turn you away. But let's don't fool ourselves into thinking that just because it's a free gift to us, in other words, we had no active part in that grace. God does expect us to follow Him, and that does come at a great cost. And I believe that a lot of Christians today have forgotten what it costs to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. When we pour through the pages of the Gospel, Jesus makes some very hard statements sometimes that we today, if your preacher dared confront you in such a way, you'd be gone. If your brother or sister in the pew next to you dared to have the audacity to speak the truth in love, such as we see in the pages of Scripture, your relationship would be done. But guys, what are we to do with these truths? If you're not willing to hate mother, and, and daughter, or son, father, if you're not willing to, to hate them, you're not worthy to be my disciple. 
I mean, that's a hard statement. I'm paraphrasing here, right? But his point is, if this relationship is more important to you than this relationship, you're not worthy to be my disciple. That's a statement from Christ. Man who sets his hands to the plow doesn't look back. If you're more concerned with what's behind than what's ahead, not worthy to be my disciple. I mean, again, guys, we've got to, uh, we've got to realize that when it comes to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you are a born-again believer, you have been bought with a price. You have been redeemed, purchased out of the slave market of sin. Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, Paul says, God forbid. Why would you continue living an old lifestyle when you, as a new creation in Christ, because the last time I checked, guys, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is still true today. Therefore, if anyone, I'm going to say that way, any man, any woman, anyone, if anyone be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. We don't merit salvation by doing better. We don't merit salvation by doing good. We don't earn better standing with God, get brownie points, because we go to church or we do things that we think will impress others or impress God. Guys, the righteousness that you and I didn't deserve was a free gift that was purchased at Calvary. And when we talk about the exchange life, the exchange that happens at the cross, is you and I come to the cross with our sin and we willingly lay down our sin. We repent and believe that the cost of Christ's shed blood at Calvary is enough and is satisfying the wrath of the Father. Because that wrath was poured out in force upon His Son at Calvary. And yet what does Christ offer us in exchange for our sin? His righteousness. How other way shall we live? What other way is there to than to allow my life to count the cost, take up my cross, and follow Him? And so I hope that'll be in our thoughts today as we look to the cross at Calvary, as we look at the death of Christ, but more importantly, we look at the resurrection power that allows us and enables us to live a Christ-centered life. If you have your Bibles, let's look here. Philippians chapter 3, and I'll give the full context again in verse 1 and following. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law, a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him, and the power of His resurrection 
and the fellowship of His sufferings, being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Father, I pray this morning You will give me clarity of thought. I pray that You will fill me with Your Holy Spirit, that I'll be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God, that the Word of God would go out unhindered, it would have free course, that it would land in fertile soil, and that the heart of the listener would understand, be enlightened to the truth of this passage. And Lord, that you would have your will and your way in our hearts today. That we'll go out from here different than how we came in. And that our lives would count the cost as we seek to follow faithfully our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. So, again, uh, if you were taking notes through this section, the outline was as such. We looked at, in the beginning, the contrast. And uh, you'll recall that uh, the contrast was... Again, Paul, in this section, he is warning the readers. He's warning the church at Philippi. He says, hey, let me start by saying rejoice in the Lord. All right, This is a happy letter. Right? This is a joyful letter. Everything that's been in this letter has been about rejoicing. That's the theme. And so he wants to say here, even though he's going to get to this little section of sort of some warning, he wants to remind you the joy of the Lord is your strength. Okay? So church, today... Be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord. All right? We know Friday's coming, but praise God, so is Sunday, right? The resurrection power of Christ. So, he lays out a contrast here. He says, I know these Judaizers, these Jewish uh, uh, legalists, have been kind of messing with the flock. They've been coming around trying to tell you believers that somehow you you're doing well with Jesus but you need also to keep certain uh, ritualistic religious laws and practices again we talked about this last time beware of the Judaizers of our day all right they're not coming around preaching you got to be circumcised that was what the context here was they were saying hey you're doing fine you believe in Jesus but but Always beware of the butt, right? But you need to be circumcised. You need to practice certain Mosaic laws. And they called the big church council together and said, no, that's not the case. It's by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. Gentiles are accepted in Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile in Christ Jesus, right? There's neither male nor female. There's neither slave nor free. These are the things, guys, that the New Testament teaches us. We're complete in Christ Jesus. He's the satisfactory atonement. He's our high priest. He's our representative. But beware of the Judaizers of your day and my day. Oh, well, that's great, but you know what? You need to be baptized and speak in tongues as evidence of the Holy Ghost. Then you'll be saved. Now, again, We're not going to talk about secondary gifts. I'm talking about the emphasis upon salvation. Some people teach baptismal regeneration. That's a false gospel. If somebody tells you you're saved by going underwater, that's a false gospel. That's a work. That's no different than you've got to be circumcised to be saved. And it comes in many forms. I'm just giving you two outward examples because again these these are akin when you look at the old testament the outward example of what had happened in the heart was circumcision but all throughout the old testament i quoted some of those passages last week and i and they're also in the new testament i'll give you one from the new testament because by the way the contrast here let me lay this contrast out before before i delve into this this new testament text but he said beware of dogs beware of evil workers and beware of the mutilation. He's specifically, Paul's specifically talking about those Judaizers. The Jewish culture called the Gentile dogs. Paul flips the script, calls them dogs. 
He says, beware of evil workers. They were trying to tell you to do righteous works. Guys, you cannot do righteous works. Your righteous works are filthy rags. My righteous deeds are filthy rags. That's evil work. But, but, but preacher, you mean um, door knocking, soul winning, and, 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 and wearing my dress, and carrying my certain translation, and, 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 and don't drink and chew and go with girls that do? That's evil work. That seems like that would be good morality and, and good things from the Word of God. Apart from Jesus Christ, it's filthy rags. In Christ Jesus, we're created unto good works. So, again, where's your heart in this? Am I doing these things as if somehow I think this is going to earn me favor with God? That's a wrong place. That's a wrong heart. That's a wrong position. And see, the Judaizers were so caught up in their traditions and their practices that they weren't willing to lay that down. It's what Hebrews warns us. They have tasted the goodness of God. They've been in our midst, church. They have sensed and tasted the Holy Spirit of God nudging at their heart to repent and believe, but they never actually partook. I mean, you, you've done this before, right? Sampling food, you'll put something in your mouth, spit it out. You didn't actually swallow, you didn't actually eat it, right? It, you, you, that's the kind of language that's used in Hebrews to speak to the group that was in the midst of the true believers that was right there at the door. And he gives the Old Testament, he said, don't shrink back, guys. Don't be like those who went out into and wandered the desert. They were so close to the promised land, but they shrunk back. How many times do people sit here on the pews, they hear the gospel, they sense the Spirit of God tug at their heart, but then they shrink back. Beware of those who come in and teach other Gospels. Beware of those who bank on religious deeds. Religious actions are not enough. Going to church doesn't save you. Getting baptized doesn't save you. Getting circumcised doesn't save you. These things do not save. Jesus Christ alone saves. He says, beware of the mutilation. Again, circumcision. Circumcision means to cut around. Here, Paul, he uses a different word. He uses the word mutilation. Cut it off. Cut it off. We're better to cut that off, guys. We don't need that in the body of Christ. For by grace, through faith, that's what we need, right? He says the contrast with those three things, three things that compare to the true believer, the true circumcision. He says, we are the circumcision. We're the circumcision of the heart. Those who worship God in spirit, those who rejoice in Christ Jesus, and those who have no confidence in the flesh. Back to where I was, that New Testament passage that, again, just reiterates these Old Testament. This wasn't anything new. The Old Testament talked about this over and over and over again, that it wasn't about the external. Do we get baptized when we get saved? Absolutely. But baptism doesn't save us. That's an act of obedience. That's what shows that our heart has been changed. That's why, that's why we call it believer's baptism. Right? I don't have time today to launch into the sermon, but this is why we don't baptize babies. The New Testament teaches us that a person comes to the knowledge, the saving knowledge of Christ. They enter into that understanding. That illumination happens. The regeneration and the illumination takes place. They want to now walk in obedient faith. And so therefore, they display that outward symbol to testify to what's happened on the inside. No different in, in, in this. That, again, the New Testament teaches that it's what's happened in the heart of a man. And so we see here in, in Colossians 2.11, in Him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. You see, Christ is our circumcision. He's our baptism, right? I mean, both of these things are used about we're baptized into Christ Jesus, right? But these externals were simply to reflect the internal. So, 
the cost. Again, we talked about the counting and we talked about, or we're going to talk about the conforming. And so this is where we're going today, the counting, and this is in verses 7 to 9. We talked a little bit last week, but we'll go back through that. And then the conforming, to close this section out, uh, is found in verses 10 and 11. Again, Paul had made comment about his uh, no confidence in the flesh. And Paul said, hey, look, if you want to boast, I can boast. You Judaizers, uh, you want to see my resume? And of course, he, made the, 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 he laid out those seven things that were part of his resume. If you think you're doing good deeds, I'm doing more, you know? Um, this is the first Annie Oakley. Uh, anything you can do, I can do better uh, rendition. Paul was singing it. Notice what he sung. Circumcised the eighth day. He was of, the, of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was, it, when it came to zeal, he was killing the church. He was on his way to kill the church when he got converted. He was righteous according to the law, keeping the rules. He did it well. He did it better than you. That's what he's saying here. Now, he, he acknowledges this is kind of a foolish game in, in, in other references, but, but he's, okay, you want to play this? We'll play this. You think your resume's good? Let, let's compare resumes. Paul puts them in their place. But that's why Paul comes to this point. He says, guys, I've come to understand that is not just zero, that's negative. Let's, let's talk about that. So the counting, he uses this, these two terms here of gain and loss. These are accounting terms. And so when Paul says in verse 7, but what things were gained to me, these I've counted loss for Christ. Again, you remember the columns, checks and balances. On one side, he's putting the pros and the cons, if you will. In this case, it's a ledger. It's like a, a banker's ledger. And on the one side, he's putting down. All these things he thought was good. Hey, I was circumcised the eighth day. Check. I, I'm of Israel. I can trace my descendants. I know who my daddy is. Boom. Check that one. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Those guys were loyal to David. Check that one. I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, my daddy's daddy was Hebrew. I speak the language. You don't. Check. Um, I'm a Pharisee. Uh, I, I'm a legalistic fundamentalist. Check, check. Um, you know, because they get two checks. If they're big at fundamentalists, go ahead and make it a third one. Um, and, and then when it came to the uh, righteousness, which was in the law, blameless, ching. Paul says, let's compare. But he knows when you compare to Christ Jesus, oof, we fall way short. Because you see, all have sinned. All have sinned. I could say, Paul have sinned. <laughs> All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? And the cool thing about this Philippians 3 passage, again, when we do the comparative Scripture to Scripture and look at the whole, we get glimpses of what's going on in Paul's thought life and his heart. This reveals what was going on in his heart. Even though outwardly Paul looks good, he knew inwardly he was struggling. Remember when he was reflecting on the law? I would not have known covetousness had it not been for the law. Newsflash, I think we just got an inside look in what Paul probably struggled with. Maybe he desired to be like Gamil, his teacher. Can you imagine the prestige of, of that position? All those fancy letters after his name? No doubt Paul on his old track as Saul, maybe that's something he struggled with. And so we see these things um, being laid out here in this passage. The cost. The counting. And then we see the conforming. Notice if you would here what Paul says. Continuing on. Yet indeed I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul knew that all those things were nothing 
It was dung. It was excrement. It was garbage compared to knowing Christ Jesus. Guys, not knowing about Christ Jesus, but knowing Christ Jesus. Do you know Him today? Does He know you? Maybe that's the question we should be asking. He will say to many in that day, they will come and they'll say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name? Did we not cast out demons? In other words, did we not do all these great religious deeds? Did we not do all these good works? And he'll say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. What a tragic thing to hear. I never knew you. Paul said, I'll give up everything for the excellence of knowing Christ. You see, guys, we must come to a point of broken surrender that our self-righteousness is not sufficient. And we recognize that we are drowning in sin and the only thing that can save us is the lifeline of Jesus Christ. To know Him. It's personal. Again, I talked that this was a, a Jewish idiom, the word he uses here. It, it means to be one with. It's, again, there's a difference between knowing about and knowing personally. It's the same word used in Adam knew his wife. Okay, there's an intimate intimacy. I, I, I know my wife, Allison. We know each other on an intimate level in many ways. And, and again, guys, please understand this. this, this uh, when you think about this passage, and we talked about how the reason why uh, you know, Paul is singling out these Judaizers, and, the, and, and I gave you this uh, great commentary on, on why why God in His sovereignty and providence chose the male part to uh, make as an outward symbol through circumcision. And, and again, yet when you think about um, procreation in and of itself, you know, we've got kids in the room, so I'm going to kind of keep it PG. I think we might have just went into PG-13. But anyway, uh, you know, go back and listen to that message on that because, guys, again, there's, some, there's significance here in the meaning. There's significance here in this, in this text. And so when we think about, though, intimacy, do you realize, and we talk about this in our marriage premarital counseling. Now, I'll never forget one of my professors in college said, you know, the greatest, one of the greatest gifts to a married couple is the sexual intimacy, okay? And the reason for that and the reason why it's to be confound to marriage between a husband and a wife is because what does marriage represent? Marriage is a picture of Jesus Christ and His bride, the church. And one day, He's coming for His bride. And those two will be consummated in eternity forever, together, as one. And when we see the marriage lay, laid out, which by the way, welcome back, honeymooners. I was going to make a honeymoon joke, but my wife said, do not embarrass me. So for my joke, talk to the Barnetts. I think they've heard it. Anyway. Um, but again, the two become one. You, you leave and you cleave. You become one. There's coming a, a, a time when, when the Son will leave the Father to come and redeem in, in, in its full consummation uh, and, and the final aspect of, of uniting with the bride, the church, and there will be glorification forever. Guys, do you know that, again, when husband and wife come together in marriage, that is a gift from God. And it's, it's just quote my professor, it is one of, the, one of the closest blisses on earth that man will experience. Woman and man will experience in that union. Why do you think God gifted that to marriage? Because again, it's a picture of, 
I mean, what greater bliss than all eternity in heaven in the glorious presence of God? This isn't, you see, our, our fallen minds kind of pervert this stuff, and it's not, guys, it's not. This is, again, when we think of it in its original beauty in the form in which God intended, how much greater is the bliss? There's nothing more satisfactory, no, no more satisfactory than, than the, the idea of being in complete union with Christ one day. And yet, in my relationship with my wife, that, that intimacy is beyond sex. That's just one aspect. And, and, and some of my senior saints said, yeah, give it time, brother. <laughs> It'll be obsolete. That's fine. I understand that. At least I think I do. But you know what won't? Won't, won't uh, I'll use a proper word here. Uh, won't wane <laughs> our love for each other. My understanding, it actually grows. That intimacy of the heart, that intimacy of knowing one another, that relationship grows sweeter. It should. And I can say with every passing year that I've had with my wife, it doesn't grow sour, it grows sweeter. I'm thankful for my marriage. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for that relationship. We know each other. And there's something about when the, and, and by the way, that don't just happen, right? You don't just show up, uh, by the way, Matt and Brittany, pray for these guys. Won't be with y'all next weekend. I'll be with them uh, at least for the ceremonial part. <laughs> we'll leave them alone after that. But <laughs> they're going to say, I do, right? They get married. Y'all be with so Pastor Mark next week, so we'll pray for Pastor Mark too. Um, but when they say, I do, they don't just, Go their separate ways. And by the way, what happens in a marriage when you say, I do, and you exchange these vows and this commitment to one another, that's it? Does the relationship not need a little work? Yes. It's a lifetime of work, right? I mean, when my wife and I said, I do, and we did, when I, hey, thank you, honey. I'll see you next week. Uh-uh. That ain't how it happens. And if it did happen that way, that would not be a healthy marriage. It would not be a healthy relationship. And I recognize, guys, sometimes our marriages go through seasons where they're not healthy. But again, just like in my personal relationship with Christ, we also enter into desert places, right? We see this in the pages of Scripture. Don't think you're somebody special. All right, the psalmist, how long, how long is my soul downcast within me? Have you left me? Hello, God, where are you? I need you, right? I mean, this is paraphrasing, but the psalmist many times is wondering, where's God in this? Has he abandoned me? And, and I know you super spiritual people who've never had those, those moments where you feel like God's nowhere to be found. Because we're like this. Yeah. <laughs> No, relationships are difficult at times, right? But when it comes to understanding relationships, when it comes to knowing the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, we need to pour into. We need to let the Scriptures pour into us. Christ said, abide in me. Let my word abide in you. It's a two-way street. And in a relationship, it's always a two-way street in that. Guys, you're not going to grow in your relationship with Christ through osmosis. Just like you're not going to grow in a relationship with your spouse if you're not spending time together. We've got to make this priority. And so my relationship must be priority. Paul says, look, all these things I thought was important, all these things that I thought was you know, going to get me somewhere is dung. Can I just take a pause for the calls here for a second and ask you, what in your life do you think is so important that you're neglecting your relationship with Jesus Christ? What is so important to you and your family that you're willing to forego that and potentially put your family's eternal state on the line? I hope it's so important to you that in the 70 plus years, the 80 plus years, maybe if you're fortunate to live to 100, some of you say, man, if I live to 100, take me out. Um, <laughs> 
I hope you can sit here and think consciously for a moment. What sin, what worldly enjoyment is worth trading your soul for? Is it that job? Is it that beach home you're wanting so much to get? Is it that boat? Is it that car? Is it that activity that consumes your life? Count the cost. If you want to be a follower of me, guys, Jesus said sometimes we've got to die to self. In fact, He said die daily. Paul did. Well, I don't understand why there's this struggle in my marriage. Are we looking to the source of healing? Are we willing to lay down our life for the sufficient grace that's needed? None of us have arrived. Guys, I'm telling look, again, it's only by the grace of God that we move and live and do. But He's given us the means. His grace is sufficient. And so, again, count those things lost for the excellence of knowing Christ Jesus. It's, it's, it's personal. It's conforming. Again, therefore, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are becoming new. This is why Paul writes in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he says, look, uh, therefore, I beg you, I beg you, church, by the mercies of God, when you think about what God did for you and your family, the death and burial resurrection of Jesus Christ at the cross, when you think about what He endured on the cross, by the mercies of God, I beg you, Paul says, present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. He says, don't be conformed to this world. The world does these things. The world chases after these intoxicating highs. The world is enamored by the bliss of man-centered things. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind through the washing of the water of the Word. I'm never going to know how to think Christ-like thoughts if I'm not spending time thinking about how Christ thinks about things I'm encountering. How does Christ encounter the world? Well, I've got examples of when he lived here and what he said. I've got the living word that actually cuts deep between bone and marrow, right? In other words, it's a two-edged sword, man. It examines my heart while I'm examining it. Paul said, I gave up everything, all those religious, self-righteous things because I just want to know Jesus. I just want to be known by Him. I want to know Him. And that has a conforming, a, a transforming uh, property to it. There, there's a transformation that will begin to happen in your heart, in your mind. When you draw near to God, He will draw near to you. When you begin to resist those temptations and the things that, again, that, because how, how are you and I tempted? James makes it clear. He says, look, you're tempted and drawn away because of your own desires. So you want to know why you... Do the things you do is because of our depravity. It's because of our fallen nature that still wages war. Our flesh still wages war. Jeremy's problems are Jeremy's problems because that's Jeremy's sinful heart. And the only thing that's going to change that is the grace of God. And so the Word of God is able. The Spirit of God is able. I want to know him. Paul says, look, it's personal. It's personal. Um, again, notice, notice these phrases. These are used in Scripture a lot, and I think it's kind of interesting. Paul's already said, he, he referenced the Lord. He said, the Lord in Philippians 2. And by the way, there, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is the Lord. There is no other. Jesus is the Lord. Romans 
gives us this understanding. Paul says, He's our Lord. Church, He's our Lord. He has a right to tell you to put that down, give that up, stop that. He has the right. You belong to Him. He has a right to tell you to go when others tell you to stop. He has a right to tell you to stop when others tell you to go. He's our Lord. Church, we need to hear the voice of our Lord. But Paul here, he makes it personal. I used to, you know, say this often. You know, you'd hear this phrase used a lot of times, you know, um, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You know, and, and, and people used to push back on that. And I used to say the same thing too. You know, well, where's that in Scripture? You know. And I kind of understand the context in which a lot of times people would say, you know, because again, this, this, this easy believism movement that kind of crept into the church that is damnable also, I believe, because that's, that's one of easy believism. For those of you who don't know, easy believism is one of these things that basically, you know, where you just say some magic words, and did you mean that? And if you meant that, yes, then congratulations, I purposely declare you saved. Okay, I'm being sarcastic here with the popishly declare you. But we've done that in a lot of good Bible-believing churches. Now, again, some of you have been saved in spite of that method. I'm not trying to negate anyone. If you walked an aisle and you repeated a prayer, if you were truly born again, and salvation belongs to the Lord, right? Only God knows this. But I'm just saying that easy believe as a method is, is a very... It's a, it's a faulty method, but hey, God uses faulty people, right? Praise God. I mean, but, but we used to hear this phrase. You have a personal relationship, you know? I, I'll never forget. And there's some truth in this. I remember John MacArthur one time said, Satan has a personal relationship with God. He goes to the throne and says, hey, you let me touch Job. I think that's pretty personal. But obviously what Paul says here again is that knowing and that intimacy in that knowledge of oneness and Satan is rebellious in heart and will not come to repentance. Paul here makes it clear so the next time somebody says, where's that in the Scripture? It's right here. For Paul it was personal. He uses that phrase. He says, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of, of Christ Jesus my Lord. Because, you know, Jesus is your Lord. He's personal. Personal. Talk to Him. Share your heart with Him. Share your struggle. Now, what He won't do is lead you contrary to His Word. All right? So don't, don't, don't get on this high kick that me and Jesus got our thing going. Mm. When I hear that phrase, I always kind of wonder a little. He won't lead contradictory. Paul says he's my Lord. Again, the key passage in this whole section that we've been unpacking is this one. It's to be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith. Do you have that righteousness? If you're here today and you do not have that righteousness, guys, do not leave here today without by faith receiving the gift of God. He desires that you would not perish. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. The problem is many will hear, taste the goodness of God, but they will not heed the voice of God. You have your Bibles turn real quick over to 1 John. With this thought in mind, 1 John chapter 5. Again, found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Look in 1 John 5, 11 as I read. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. 
He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Can I ask you a question this morning, listener? Do you have the Son of God this morning? If you do not have the Son of God this morning, you do not have eternal life. And my prayer and my plea is that in the closing moment of this message, that you'll respond to the Spirit of God. That if the Spirit of God is speaking to you and drawing you near, do not turn. Do not shrink back. Respond in faith. And by faith receive Him. He said to as many as receive Him, to them He gives the right to become the children of God. You can be a child of the King today. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have, uh, uh, again, your slate wiped clean. That one day when you and I stand in the presence of Almighty God, a holy God, He will not look on you and see the sins that you have committed. He will look at you and see the righteousness of His Son because you will be clothed in His righteousness. Don't believe the lie of the enemy. Satan wants you to think, well, I need to get some things right first. Or, or I'm afraid to do this because I don't want to give this up. I don't, I don't want to let that go. All these kind of thoughts will flood your mind, and, and it's a lie. It's not about what I do or I don't do. It's about what's done. And God offers the gift of salvation. It's a gift. Are you willing to repent and believe? Do you have the Son? Do you not have the Son? That's a simple question. Paul reminded us, let us examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. If there's uncertainty in this, get it certain. Because it's certain at the cross. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's finished. But notice what he says for you believers. For those of you who are here, maybe you're struggling with assurance of your salvation. Keep reading in 1 John 5 because verse 13 is a great passage of encouragement to you. Notice what it says. These things I've written to you. What things? The things in the Scriptures. These things in the Scriptures, guys. You want to know why you're struggling in your faith? You want to know why you're struggling in your relationship? It's because we don't know the Scriptures. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Do you believe in the Son of God today? Do you believe in Him? Do you really trust in Him? Is your life surrendered to Him? I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. I mean, how much more confident and much certain can we be? Paul says, my confidence is not in the flesh. If it were, I'd be at the front of the line. But that's garbage. That's dung. You know where my confidence is? It's in knowing Christ Jesus. It's in knowing that He finished the work. It's in knowing His promises. It's in knowing who He is and what He's done for Him and for, for us. And it's not about knowing about Him. It's about knowing Him. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Hey, that, that eliminates all potential circumstances, doesn't it? I mean, we can go through some stuff in this world. Some of you are going through some stuff right now. Can I tell you, He's with you in the mountain. He's with you in the valley. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear. He's with me. It doesn't matter what the circumstances that come in when we have confidence anchored, not in our ability, not in our, our, our goodness. Our, 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 no, it's none of those things. When I am secure in Christ, when I recognize nothing can separate me from the love of God, nothing can pluck me out of His hands. That is confidence. Not in me. It's confidence in Him. 
And some of you struggle in your faith because you're not aware of these promises. You're not, you're not certain about what He has said as to who you are in Him. You, we don't understand these things. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You want to strengthen your faith? Get in the Word of God and let the Word of God get in you. You will grow stronger. And it doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter what's going on in the other part of the world. It doesn't matter what's happening in my health or my finances or my other situations in my life because I recognize I'm just a pilgrim passing through. God is my security. And it allows me to become salt. It allows me and you to become light in a dark world. We don't devoid ourselves. We don't, we don't, we don't stop doing and just, you know... Just, I'm just going to trust God. No. Again, perseverance of the saints. We press on. We're going to hear that in the sermon following. When we get back, Paul is going to talk about, again, pressing forward for the upward call in Christ Jesus. But let's finish this up. So again, the cost. Uh, again, it's not just to know Him personally, but it's to know His resurrection power. It's to know His resurrection power. Do you really know His resurrection power? Do you realize the Word of God says that the same Spirit that rose Christ from the dead resides in you? <laughs> wow! Let me tell you what that means. Because if you want a great passage here on salvation, this passage is incredible. I mean, they're all incredible. But, but look, if you would, verse 8 and 9, you see justification. Look at the verse. Look at the verse. Yet, indeed, I also count all things lost for uh, the excellence and the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. You see, verse 9 tells us very clearly that you and I are justified, not by righteousness of our own doing. We are justified, declared not guilty before God because of Christ's righteousness. You're justified. Notice what happens next. Paul then gives us a picture of sanctification in verse 10. Notice what he says, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of the sufferings being conformed to His death. In other words, guys, when you live this life, when you know Christ, Christ is at work in me and you. He's at work through our circumstances, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the point of the good, the bad, and the ugly is to conform us more and more into the image of Christ. That is a sanctification. He's chipping away at you, chipping away at you. Let Him have His way. Let Him have His way. Paul's saying, look, I, I, again, I, I see this. I understand the power of the resurrection. And then you see glorification in verse 11. If by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. You know what Paul's saying here? Do you remember? We've got to give a little bit of context. Remember how Paul started this whole thing out? He's in prison. He's getting ready. He thinks he's going to die. And he's kind of torn in his spirit. He says, To live is Christ. To die is gain. So he's come to this point where he's settled it. I, I, either one of those ways, whichever way is to attain Christ's resurrection power, glorification, which by the way, a lot of folks will, will, will take this passage here and they understand this to be a part of a teaching on his looking for the rapture of the church. Now recognizing a crowd this size, you may have some differing eschatological views. You know the position of this church. But there's some very interesting thoughts here, and I'd be remorse to skip over. Let me, let me read you a thought here from Phillips, John Phillips, on this. In the New Testament, the uh, usual term translated resurrection of the dead is anatasis, necron, which refers to both the resurrection to life of the saved and the resurrection to judgment of the lost. Here, however, Paul added the preposition ek as a preface to anatasis forming the word ex-anatasis. The preposition ek means out from. Out from. A circle with a line coming out from the deep within, it illustrates the significance of ek. A circle with a line coming away from the circumference would illustrate the significance of the dissimilar preposition apo, which means away from rather than out from. The literal meaning of anatasis is 
out-resurrection. Out-resurrection. That is a resurrection out from the dead as distinguished from a resurrection of the dead. Did you get that significance? It's a, 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 is a resurrection out from the dead as distinguished from a resurrection of the dead. Since Philippians 3.11 is the only place Paul used ex-anastasis, and since the context does not specifically elaborate on the meaning, and since the context does not specifically elaborate on the meaning of the verse, we can do little more than surmise the reason for choosing the word. <laughs> Simply put, we don't know. But if I take what's just been argued there and I consider this idea that Paul, is he anticipating that there is a separate out from moment when it comes to the resurrection of the dead? That's the point many would make. I don't know about all that right yet, but I know this. Justification, sanctification, Glorification is part of our salvation. It is this threefold cord that will happen because it will happen. You were justified at the cross of Calvary, not because of your righteous deeds. You're being sanctified in your life today because of the power of the resurrection. And one day you will be glorified because of the power of the resurrection. You will come out of the grave. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord. These things we are certain. So let me say this. Have you been delivered from the penalty of sin? That's justification. And the moment you believe, not guilty. Are you being delivered by the power of the resurrection and the power of sin today in your life? God desires you to, because of the resurrection, to crucify the flesh. Therefore, Paul says in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And now the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and died for me, gave his life for me. Are you living out your life are you bringing thoughts captive? Are you, in other words, are you, are you, are you crucifying the flesh? Guys, are, are you dying to sin daily? You shouldn't be continuing indulging in sin. God's wanting to do a sanctifying work, uh, work in you because of the power of the resurrection. He can. You can be delivered from the penalty of sin. You can be delivered from the power of sin. And one day, guys, we're going to be glorified. We're going to live apart from the very presence of sin. Paul makes that argument here. The cost. To know is suffering. It's painful. It's painful. You're going to go through some stuff. Paul knew he was facing death. He knew Christ had suffered at the cross. One of the greatest doctrines that's failed to be taught in the church is the doctrine of suffering. The prosperity gospel has somehow confused the church that you're not supposed to suffer. Guys, you ain't living for Jesus if you ain't suffering. Don't take my word for it. Read the Scripture. If you choose to live righteous in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. It's painful. The cost to know Him eternally, that's what that verse 11 but you know what? It's practical. I go back to the quote from uh, Francis Schaeffer. I was going to make this one, it's prophetic, because it looks forward to the return of Christ there in the end in verse 11, the glorification passage. But it's practical. Francis Schaeffer said, knowing these things, how then shall we live? If you know the Lord's return is soon, how much more practical should that be in your life? Christ returned today. Are you ready? Are you ready? It's practical, guys. To attain the resurrection from the dead, out from the corpses. There's coming a time. There's coming a day. Are you ready?
Conclusion. We see the contrasts. We see the confidence, not in the flesh, in the finished work of Calvary, but it comes at a cost. You may recognize this guy, George Whitfield. Let me tell you what you might not know about George Whitfield. In the, in the 1730s in England, a young man named George Whitfield desperately wanted to be right before God. As a student at Oxford, he was part of the Holy Club. Oh, that sounds like a prestigious group, don't they? He was part of the Holy Club, along with John and Charles Wesley. I'd say that was a Holy Club. Sounded like it, didn't it? The members of that club rose early every day for lengthy devotions. The disciplined, they disciplined themselves so as not to waste a minute of the day. They wrote a diary every night in which they examined and condemned themselves for any fault during that day. They fasted each Wednesday and Friday and set aside Saturday as a Sabbath to prepare for the Lord's Day. They took communion each Sunday. They tried to persuade others to attend church and, re and to refrain from evil. They visited the prisons and gave money to help the inmates and to provide for the education of their children. Whitfield nearly ruined his health by going out in cold weather and lying prostrate before God for hours, crying out for deliverance from sin and Satan. For seven weeks, he was sick in bed, confessing his sins and spending hours praying and reading his Greek New Testament. Yet, by his own admission, he was not saved because he was trusting in all these things to save him. Finally, in a sense of utter desperation, in rejection of all self-trust, he cast his soul on the mercy of God through Jesus Christ. An array of faith granted him from above, assured him he would not be cast out. Arnold Dalimore on George Whitfield, Cornerstone Books, pages 60 through 77. If you want the full account. The burden of his sins was lifted. He was filled with joy. And he went on to become the great evangelist used of God in the first great awakening. Thankfully, we do not all have to go through the agony of soul that George Whitfield went through. But we must all come to the same place he did where we throw overboard as worthless all trust in human merit and cling to the Lord Jesus Christ is our only basis for acceptance with God. If we lose all our pride and self-trust in exchange for Christ and His merit, we gain everything. Stephen J. Cole. Here's my challenge. Do you have the Son? And if you don't, today... He's being offered to you in this invitation. Would you respond? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I feel the weight of this message. And no doubt your spirit has been at work and is at work drawing. Drawing some to yourself those who, who need the assurance they need to know today their sins are forgiven. But beyond that, Lord, they need to know You. They need to know You. They, they need to be known by You. And I recognize the truth of Scripture. Salvation belongs to the Lord. No one can come unless the Father draw them. Draw them today, Father, please, through Your Holy Spirit. You know Your sheep. Your sheep hear your voice. Lord, it would be my prayer today that if there be anyone here that hears the calling of Jesus Christ, come. Would they respond in simple faith? I want to ask in this moment, if the Spirit of God is dealing with you, 
and you would like to receive Christ today, you recognize the Spirit speaking. It's time to surrender. It's time to yield. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to whoever believes. To the Jew, to the Gentile, to the Greek, to the barbarian, to the Scavian. Whoever. Let them come. If the Spirit of God is speaking to you today, here's what I ask you to do. Answer His call. Right where you're at. Take just a moment and in your own heart and your own mind, talk to the Lord. Respond to His call. Nobody looking. I don't normally do this, but I, I, I believe this is necessary today. God's dealt with you, and it's time to get it right. I want you to step out come on down to this front pew right here. I want somebody to talk with you, counsel with you, pray with you. This isn't what saves you. Only the Spirit of God, the finished work of Jesus Christ does that. But we shouldn't be ashamed of what Christ has done and we need the help to move forward and that's what we want to do today we want to give you some help as you move forward in this new relationship so nobody looking I want you to, again only you know only you know just come on down here to this front row and I'm not going to embarrass you nobody's looking but would like to talk with you and share with you today from God's word how you can have this assurance that you can know Him and be known by Him. Lord, I trust You. And I know that's a work of the heart. Continue that work. And Lord, whoever it is or how many it is that's being dealt with right now, I pray that You'll solidify that call and that they'll make their election and calling sure. So, Lord, you be glorified in this. And I want to pray for the believer who may be struggling today in their circumstances. May their confidence rest in the death, burial, and the resurrection power of Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's in His name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet if you would, guys. I know we've been sitting for a while. Uh, I wanted to close out this section. And you don't have me next week. You're going to have Pastor Mark, so you'll be done an hour later from now. Just kidding. Um, we are going to observe the Lord's table. and.